0: been a few weeks since we've chatted with you guys. Um, We have been busy doing lots of various things. Uh, We're going to have a guest next week, Robert Jackson from the Ember Core team. So definitely check that one out. Uh, It's myself, Robbie Wagner, and my co-host Charles W. Carpenter III, as always. And today we have a, by request from Nick, one of the non-rye whiskeys that we had on hand was uh, one we've actually been wanting to try for a while um, that, that Chuck knows, I think, some of the history on. Um, I know I saw it on, on the news some, but uh, maybe maybe take it away and give people a little, little intro into what we're trying today, Chuck.
1: Yeah, so we decided to try one of the offerings from the Uncle Nearest Distillery. Uh, I'm assuming that's the distillery name, but it is their product name. Um and it's an interesting story. Uh, there's been a lot of marketing out there and whatnot. and I think some pretty like good vibes and, and feedback in the whiskey community as well. This is their 1856 and the interesting story behind Uncle Nearest is that he taught Jack Daniels the uh, this is like one of the more popular mash bills in the area and there was a technique and in terms of flavoring it slightly with mapled charcoal um he showed jack daniels how to this process worked and and was the first master distiller at uh jack daniels distillery in tennessee so that yeah it's like twofold thing um so he was a black man uh and that wasn't very evident or like really which wasn't available information in the Jack Daniels history Uh, documentary came out about it. And uh, the family uh, dug into that and got a lot of information there and actually started a distillery um, with their original family mash bill. So it seems pretty cool. And then the fun fact about tenant, you know, Jack Daniels, not all Tennessee whiskey, but uh, Jack Daniels in particular is exactly Urban until they do this maple filtering
0: yeah and wasn't there like it wasn't just that there wasn't as much information about exactly who uh, uncle nearest was but it was like they had zero information at all like they were just saying Jack Daniels was the one who did it. Yeah. Yeah. They were leaning
1: into that, like company started by and master distilled by Jack Daniels. Yeah, absolutely. They're like my understanding of it. And I didn't deep dive or anything like that. So, you know, don't over fact check me on this, but is that there was no information whatsoever. This came out. The family had done studies. There was a documentary and all of this. And then that he indeed was the first master distiller. He was there for quite some time, in fact. And, um, you know, a young Jack
0: learned that aspect of the business from him. Right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I looked at their website a little bit. Um, they apparently won some awards in 2020, of spirit brand of the year from wine enthusiasts, double gold at San Francisco spirits competition, that kind of stuff. So should be some pretty good stuff, I think. Yeah. And they have a couple of different,
1: um, a couple of different offerings, and so yeah, I just picked this one because you had already bought it. Well, I would have tried so the only, any of them.
0: The only two they had at, at the Virginia ABC store were um, this hundred proof one or the like small batch ninety three proof. Um, but from their website, it looks like they have a barrel proof and a uh, maybe an, one other one. Um, not, yeah, not sure. I think I've seen three at the Total Wine.
1: And was interested, because like sometimes Total Wine will have open bottles and let you do tastings and stuff, and I've just kind of been waiting to see if that was ever going to come to fruition, and then instead, you picked one up, and we had the ability to do it for the show, so why not?
0: Yeah. All right, let's pour this. Yes. And then while we... Oh,
1: yes, we have to do the... (laughs) There you go, right at the mic, and then hold on. Oh, there you go. Um... Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm gonna transition into sound effects. The future of yep. Ship Shape is sound effects. Uh, Foley, yep. it's called a Foley artist, by the way. Fun fact Foley, yes, uh, I don't know why it's called that, but I learned that, um, because I know you like these facts, these, these tidbits. <laughs> I went to film school for a year.
0: Yeah, did we? Okay. I think we covered that in another podcast or maybe post-podcast. Yeah, p- I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's hard to
1: say. My life blends together a little bit. So as normal, uh, I'll be having this taste in a proper whiskey glass, a Glenn Carn like Norlin, and he will ruin it with ice right away. Hey, you like what you like. Hmm. Also, uh, while you take that moment there, I'm going to dive in. I tried to find mash bills of the whiskies that we try uh, beforehand. Um, and this one wasn't, uh, very evident in most sites, including their own, but there is one, I don't know if they're making a wild guess or they actually got the information later on saying that it is 84% corn, 8% rye and 8% malted barley, um, which is very high corn for a normal bourbon. So we'll see how that affects taste.
0: Yeah. I mean it's hard to not think about comparing it to a Jack Daniels, you know, with all the history and, and my first impressions are that, um, I've never really liked Jack Daniels as a, you know, first fact to know. (laughs) And then, uh, I think this is better because it's got a little more complexity. Like it has this, a similar finish to a Jack Daniels, I would say, but it's like in the middle, it's got a little bit of spiciness, like a little more like the rise I like. Um, let me give it another taste. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's interesting because
1: on the smell and I will preface that with the, anytime I leave Phoenix for a few days and come back and there are these massive humidity changes, my olfactory senses are sometimes thrown off. So it could be that, but I am getting a little smokiness in the smell.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd say there's a little smokiness.
1: Okay, and I would say yeah. In the realm of maple charcoal filtered whiskeys, of which there are not that many, this is less sweetness. So for a high corn, it's actually pretty surprising to me that it you know it has less sweetness. And this is more in the family of like like Dickel Tennessee whiskeys to me. So it gets a little of that spice in the mids or
0: yeah yeah like it starts to try to taste a little bit sweet and more Jack Danielsy, and then it like Immediately gives you that spice and smoke and like doesn't have the same feel. So I would say it's, it's pretty good. Um, I don't know what, what can I complain about? I think there's actually a little too much wood, um, on the finish, mm. mm-hmm. just a slight, slight bit too much. So I would give it maybe, uh, six or seven tentacles, I think.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think about that. I'm, I mean, I, A little bit of sweetness, but it's not, it's not bothersome actually. And I do like that there's a range here. There's some complexity to it. I, yeah, I'm really in a similar range where it's like, well, here, let me say this. Like I would, so it's pretty decent. I would have it again. And given that, um, you know what? Yeah, I know. it. Okay. It, in its finish, it has a little bit of like an orange rind for me. Like a little bit of that, like mm. slight bitter, like orange, but like citrus, but like bitter citrus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A little bit.
1: Yeah. I think uh, what puts this in the, like, I wonder what the age is of it. And
0: it's aged in charred oak barrels. We don't get to know because I, I reckon read- whiskey. Seven years is like their minimum, and then their oh. single barrel is like eleven. Or am I making oh. that? Hold on, let's see. Okay, uh, an eleven-year-old single barrel product and a seven-year-old small batch offering. So I'm. I I'm gonna think, I'm gonna go seven. Seven tentacles. I'm giving it a seven. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I'll I'll round up to seven. I I was on the fence, but it's. I don't know. It, it's not perfect, but it's it's pretty good. So yeah, seven yeah. sounds good.
1: I feel like the more I have it, the more I am like, yes, I can actually, I could drink this through the night. I can buy this for $60 and, and I don't recall what it costs, but
0: uh, I think it's less than that. Uh,
1: Yeah, I do. I actually think it is less than that, but I know there's things, their offerings are between 40 and 60, if I recall offhand. And so that's why I was like, oh, okay, I want to taste this in some way before kind of really leaning in. And let's just say, like, if this was $50 a bottle, like, I wouldn't feel bad about that. I would feel like, yeah, this is a tasty product for that. And I, in fact, would rather have this than Jack Daniels. Yeah. I
0: I would rather have almost any whiskey than Jack Daniels. (laughs) Some people love it. I I don't know. I mean, um, people like different things, but. Yeah, but I mean, Jack and Coke is the
1: thing. So let's take this sweet thing and mix it with another sweet thing. So I I don't
0: know. Okay. So that's different. Like I'll have a lot of whiskeys and Coke, but what whiskey am I going to sip on is not the same thing.
1: Too much Jim Beam and Coke in college. And Mm. I'm not sure I can do a whiskey and Coke. I haven't approached it in quite some time because I actually drink whiskeys that taste good on
0: their own now. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Beam is also pretty sweet. And I don't know. We used to mix it with Kool-Aid, which is not recommended. (laughs) No,
1: no. I can recall chasing a decent amount of like very terrible liquor with um, things like Mountain Dew or like Hawaiian Punch or just anything you could find that didn't taste like, you know,
0: terrible vodka or whiskey. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to uh, one of my roommates in college would mix like several different liquors like he would get out. We would have like a blue raspberry liquor, like a normal vodka, a whiskey whiskey maybe some gin, you know, all these different things. And he would mix all those and like put some soda in it or something. I was like, that has to taste like the worst thing ever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're, yeah. It really is like an efficiency model, I guess, because you're just saying like, I need all these things in order to get drunk, but I don't want to taste them. So I'm going to put this other very strong, non-related thing over top of it and just hope it works out (laughs) spoiler (laughs) alert for anyone who's listening which i can't imagine uh who hasn't gone down this path or knows better it doesn't taste good yeah would not recommend yeah would not recommend that would be negative four tentacles (laughs) (laughs) yeah If it's in a plastic, if if you're getting hard liquor in a plastic container, no, step away. Don't do it. Just go buy cheap beer better.
0: Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, like if you can get your hands on grain alcohol and put a lot of that with everything you've got in your house in a big bucket, it's usually pretty good. So, yeah. Okay. So
1: (laughs) I am from Kentucky as I probably mentioned before. Um, so I've had some moonshine here and there a couple of times. And I know what you're referencing, although I don't think we ever made it with straight up moonshine. You'd get a little moonshine and then you just had to like kind of drink a little of that just to see if you could survive. But you know, you can do it with Everclear too. Um, and you mix it with a bunch of fruit and juice and whatever else we, I've heard it called Creek juice before. We called it a jungle juice jungle juice was the other one. So I was just going to leave you an opening there. Yeah. I mean, cause you're from Virginia I mean, that's the South. It was the, it was the epicenter of the South at one point. So yeah, no few know if you, you know, we we have a similar experience in those ways sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would go, uh, you could get Everclear either in West Virginia or South Carolina. So we would go down to the beach and just stock up on Everclear in South Carolina and then bring it back and like it's also fun to like throw in fires and like <laughs> it just explodes on impact. It's pretty cool.
1: Maybe you'll be surprised to learn that within this decade or even maybe within the last 5 years I have purchased Everclear uh and used it to make uh limoncello a couple of hmm. times. So actually
0: we did that for our wedding. Oh,
1: nice. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I like limoncello. Um, I do think it needs a strong alcohol flavor to counter the sugars and sour and just all of those like amaros that are fruit based. It's kind of fun. And I like no quite some quite a bit.
0: It's really hard to make a limoncello in America, though, because like they got the giant lemons over in Italy and you have to peel a thousand lemons here to make a batch. Yeah. um,
1: I don't know. I can't remember how many I would typically do. So I would like essentially be shooting for like one or two seven fifties and probably end up with like two dozen lemons or something like that. But the citrus here in Phoenix is really good. So, I mean this kind of like Southern California has a great climate for citrus and there's tons of citrus, especially like in my neighborhood now. Um, There used to be a number of orchards here originally. And so there's still like some lingering citrus in the neighborhoods. And so your neighbors will always be like putting out grapefruits and oranges and and, uh, lemons. We have some very interesting Meyer lemons, actually, that would Mm. probably be pretty good for that.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to experiment with like some in pots that we can either bring inside or get like a little greenhouse or something, because it'll definitely Mm. freeze here so we can't grow but so much. But I'm going to give it a try. Yeah, I want to try avocado. Yeah, Caitlin wants to do that, too, because she has avocado toast, like, every day. (laughs) So, I try to grow some and at least Mm -hmm. partially eat those. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, that worked out. Yeah. So, GraphQL, how do you feel about that?
1: Well, I have uh, a lot of experience with it um, in the last couple of years. So I can definitely see some pretty good use cases for it um, outside of like consistency and predictability in your requests and response areas. Um, there is this way to distribute schema across microservices and then like stitch that together or federate it. If you're in the Apollo realm of technologies and then like have one schema to rule them all. So You know, if you're like following some other specs that requires you to present your schema up front as part of all of that, um, then, you know, the GraphQL method kind of gives you that on top of some of the other things. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's good. I think that it doesn't have a ubiquitous use case necessarily, but obviously everybody's talking about it. And so they're just going to start using it across the board.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've used both it and well, I guess not both like several different types of APIs. Right. So in the Ember world, you have JSON API, which was kind of the precursor, I would say almost to, to GraphQL. Like it had some similar ideas about like, let's only include the things you actually want. So you can set up an includes for different relationships and pull those in. And you're, you you do not have to have every single field all the time and, and stuff like that. Um, But I think the one thing I would say across the board is like both of them are better than a generic like, oh, we have this REST API and it has no standards. And, you know, it could anything, any field can be anywhere. IDs are in random spots like data is arbitrarily nested and you get everything. You can't control it. Like I think both solve those problems. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I
1: think that, so yeah, REST spec was the win over things like SOAP back in the day where you could have some layer of predictability in terms of what you were going to, I mean, basically it was just something around CRUD operations. Okay, I'm going to get some things, I'm going to get a thing, I'm going to put a new thing, I'm going to, you know, those kinds of things. And then JSON API is a nice layer on top of that to say like, okay, right. But the like shape of everything is always different. And so I have to always write something to parse that on the client side. Once I'm making my requests, right. like get a thing for you. You decided it looks like this. Now I got to create a wholly custom thing. Like, can we just agree on what that is together? Yeah. So JSON API was like really great for that. And I mean, it still is very great for that. It is that, Um, it was definitely very hot in the space and people were providing because a lot of this is really about popularity gets attention, attention gets continued tools and whatnot. And as front end development changes, you know, you're looking for packages, you're looking for tools to, to, to make this work for you. And my obvious recent use case is that I was working on an API for our swatch product Um so hopefully that goes somewhere. And if you are a swatch user and listening to our podcast, we want to add some persistence that is not localized to your app and your one machine. We're thinking like it would be cool if you could create an account and synchronize your swatches, which has a a little double meaning in entendre. That's my Parker or yeah, Parker Lewis can't lose reference there. Um, and I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, synchronized swatches across all your machines. Um, you have an account. You get a new machine. Sign up. Your swatches come on board. So we were working on API for that purpose. Um, our Electron app uses Ember. Uh, Ember's usual happy friend is Ember Data, but we're using a different flavor there for a few different reasons. But it's still very JSON API friendly. Yeah, which is Ember cool. Orbit. Yeah. Orbit OrbitJS, or, which you can yeah, use. shout-out.
0: In other things. Uh, yeah, shout-out to Dan Gebhardt, who is the wizard of all data things, and will be helping us shortly figure out what we're doing with that. In case you get a chance
1: to listen to this before Friday, Dan, not sure, but uh, I hope you are wearing a hat with stars and crescent moons. Um, <laughs> so yes, it, JSON API-friendly uh, packages and uh, data persistence models, but... I was working on this API and doing it in serverless. Um, and, yeah, so trying to support th- serverless TypeScript things, but then JSON API is sort of the forgotten stepchild over a couple of years. I mean, there's a lot of great things out there for it. like and But if you kind of divert from this, th- this obvious ecosystem, then things become more challenging. And it would have been... A lot faster from a serial from like an intake serialization and deserialization standpoint in order to put it into databases to not be JSON API right like they didn't that's not a friendly thing for this last couple of years and GraphQL would have been very easy but um, it just it, it it's one of those things where you just kind of decide where you're going to put in the work
0: yeah and and I think the problem is like JSON API had a lot of good ideas and they had a lot of steam for like six months to a year. And then basically no one worked on it. So like, I think Dan is actually working on it and, um, I know he still contributes in a way. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yehuda is, I don't know how much he contributes or is just like help with the thought leadership and stuff, but yeah, he's around and, but basically like, you know, there are things you need with an API like pagination, right? Which does not exist in JSON API. So it's just like, you can do your normal things, like find all of this type of thing. Cool, I've got this query to get it all, but if I want to paginate it, or I need like some special meta, or like different things, you've got to do like really custom serializers and adapters and all that to like make all that work, um, which is fine. And there are some decent examples to do that, but I would imagine, hopefully, GraphQL supports those things. It does. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say. And there you go.
1: So, some things like that. Um, it's really nice in a couple of things. So, they're like one of the design patterns that's well supported, has got like the viewer pattern. So, it's like I am the person who is logged in. Now, show me the cascade of things that is available to me. That's essentially sort of like everything that can be included. But then you mm-hmm. have field level inclusion, you have field level um, caching toggles to there, which is also kind of nice because we all know like caching is really difficult, especially from uh, a data perspective. I think that's maybe an area where GraphQL starts to really win. I mean, but then again, so you, you have to scale to a degree that like caching is a problem.
0: So do you, you flag like which fields you want to be cached versus not?
1: You can you can okay. do that, so you can do a few different things. You can actually do it in the schema at the field level, or you can do it in the resolvers, so at the request level. And you can do it globally, too. Hmm. So when you spin up your GraphQL server, you can just say cache control's on, this is the cache control mechanism I'm using, and then here's my like default setting. And then you can start to, like, pull levers at various levels down or the inverse. You can say, cache is here's my cache controller, but everything is cache zero unless I start to tell you to cache things.
0: Yeah, I think there's um, some things with Ember data that kind of do that. Like, if you request, you know, a a record with a certain ID and it doesn't think that it may have updated, it will just use the one from the store. But, like, it's a little bit unclear how to, to pull the right levers to make that do what you want. And, like, you know, when should it force update versus not? Um, so a lot of times uh, in Ember apps you'll be, you know, hitting a model hook and your data doesn't change, but you know it should. So you've got a force call, like, uh, say you have a thing that has a has many, right? You're like this, uh, I don't know, this book has many pages and the pages aren't updating. So you have to manually call dot reload on it. To force it to like call and reload everything. Um, and that's kind of not advertised in the docs or anything. So like there is that disconnect where, you know, with, with GraphQL, you're configuring the same sort of thing, both server side and client side. Whereas like with JSON API, you you set up your API, but then your front end has all these different flavors of things that may or may not do the spec correctly. Right. But think about it this way. And yeah, it's, it's a hard problem. So there's
1: two, the hard, two hardest things in software engineering, right, are naming things and cache. Because yep. there's all all these different levels that you can do that. In GraphQL, you can do it on the server side. And so recently implemented for a client a, uh, a Redis caching key store. And that says anytime time that a query comes in that looks like this, it triggers this key, I already have the response. I don't need to go ask the service for that. And that's pretty powerful to a degree, right? So yeah, you could do it within the client and that gives a benefit to that particular client. But if you do it on the server layer for things like this, like, oh yeah, I have a product, its description never changes Mm. or it doesn't change very often. So I'm willing to let that description say persistent for a month or something like that. And once the first person hits it, you know I get that for quite some time before another person has to trigger that refresh so and if it is that important my change well you know, I can go into there and manage that key store
0: right yeah I don't I don't think there's anything like that for JSON API um, yeah know, I think
1: they are more like it's not built into that particular spec you would be making decisions from what i recall in in uh working with some of those like you'd be making those decisions as like an additional service layer mhm yeah
0: yeah i mean we should probably have a guest sometime who is an expert and they can refute everything i've said but uh you know from my understanding it's it's missing a lot of these things yeah it would be, so yehuda i know you're listening
1: we'll get yehuda some spare time is not listening <laughs> you're In case you're not in a current Twitter fight, um, you know, yeah, come on and let's talk about these things. Because I do think JSON API is a great product. I think that if you're doing a normal, like, REST CRUD uh, API and, you know, you don't have the use case or skill set or desire to utilize GraphQL, you absolutely should be using json api and even if you do have some of those things you should be asking yourself the question like am i using graphql because like because it is another layer of learning things complexity and all those kinds of things and json api is just giving you like you're just agreeing to standards and expectations right. are known between the teams working within this application and that's a great thing that's a huge thing yeah yeah conversely there's this uh this testing i want to loosely say testing uh library ideology you know foundation website whatever it's called pact p a c t and okay. you so it has its own kind of standard that you create say you create an api and then you run it against this pact engine and it creates the contract there And then that contract is shared between, say, your API team and your, you know, front-end application team. And both are doing tests against it. And if anybody is doing something that doesn't pass the pact or changes the pact, there are flags thrown up. And then, great, you work on that and whatever. Okay, now we know we're going to generate a new pact. And now, you know, we just make sure that, like, API changes don't happen that are gonna go upstream and just weren't tested or whatever else. If you just break the pack, that's all you need to know. You don't need to test against the other application and hope they have integration tests that cover your use case. You're now just like both opted into this like mutually exclusive thing.
0: Yeah. I mean I know a lot of times when I'm starting a new feature, you work with the back end folks and you you know, you spec out what the API should look like and you both kind of build for a week or two or something and come back together. And usually during that time, if you're not communicating super well, one or the other of you deviates from, from that, what you agreed upon. And then, you know, I've spent two weeks building a thing and it's like, well, the API has like these 10 different fields and we changed the names of all their relationships and like, okay, well that's going to be like weeks more of work for me to fix that because you didn't let me know. So if you had that pact thing, like that would let you know ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. You can basically like develop against the pact. I do think that that's also like an advocation
1: to simulation layers. I think that there's something to be said for what can be accomplished in a quick simulation layer. I mean, we have friends and colleagues uh, who advocate for that, like our friends at Frontside or, um, our friends making those things, such as Mirage, You know, Sam working on MirageJS. I know I mm-hmm. bothered him a bunch in the past on different things, uh, integrating that into React apps for clients. And it does. It does like let a lot of that come up. You agree on a schema, apply it to a quick library like that that can let you start building features while they build this agreed-upon schema and spec. Yeah. Uh, and if they askew from it, well, then great things aren't working let's go back and but it doesn't like oh we've delivered your feature
0: oh crap there's a bunch of bugs that we didn't account for yeah yeah i mean having some visibility into the fact that the other side changed is really all you need because you mm-hmm. know your tests may be passing but if they have no knowledge of the changes on the other side yeah you have no your way tests to know. make a lot of assumptions of an
1: agreement that may not have been met right and uh yeah yeah, it's interesting. I, we, you need to, like, find ways to meld, like, melt the boundaries, actually. Because like, I always hate the sides. You know, either the front side or the back side. or the I don't know. We're all trying to deliver a thing because guess what? Your customers don't care. Your <laughs> product owners don't care. You know, business stakeholders, they don't care. They don't care who has what part of the problem. And so. Yeah, yeah it's just got to work. mm.
0: Amen. (laughs) Speaking of work, I have been doing the most work into different things that I've not had a lot of experience in recently with um, all of the stuff with, uh, for those that don't know, we just bought an office building Um, and I've been like this whole process is ripe for disruption because I've been doing, you know, this back and forth with the lenders and the, the real estate agents and the, uh, title company, all this stuff that like when you buy a house as a consumer is kind of all handled for you. Like you choose a real estate company and, and their your agent because they're getting this commission, like kind of handle everything for you that they go between, they make sure everyone's on track and like everything's going smooth. None of that happens on the commercial side. Like you have 15 people emailing you being like, Hey, uh, I've been waiting for two weeks. Where's like this document? Like, Oh, well, if you had called this other guy, like he has that document, like no one talks to each other and it's, it's terrible. Like I, if we had the time and the budget, I would build the same thing as better.com, which is a great app, uh, for the commercial side. And it used to be an Ember app and is not anymore. I think, unfortunately,
1: (laughs) demand and hiring
0: screams again is what I think is happening there. Yeah, I actually, um, the the guy that, I don't know if he's, I guess he's CTO or CEO or something. He like came from, or maybe, I don't I don't know. One of the technical guys I talked to on, on Twitter and he, uh, he came from Spotify. Like he's a big, I guess, technical person that people know. I, I don't know of him because I'm kind of siloed to the Ember community a lot of the times, but, uh, I, I talked with him a while and yeah, he was like, you know, unfortunately we're moving to react because of, you know, a lot of different reasons. And some of that could be, you know, like we were just talking about with the JSON API stuff. Like if you don't want to use JSON API and you're using Ember data kind of screwed. So, right.
1: So here's an offhand business idea. Started an accelerator that uses Ember. The The thing is, is a lot of these like programs, um, code schools and accelerators and all that kind of stuff. Um, they all use react right because it's the one size fits all in a way or at least that's the assumption you know you think
0: yeah i mean i just have so much free time like teaching a class Mm. sounds like something i would definitely want to do (laughs) i put that out
1: there in the world and not just for you like you know the ember core team starts one
0: yeah i think there's an appetite you know, people don't necessarily know it, but like everyone is all learning react all in on react. Like no one really even learns JavaScript fundamentals. Honestly, they just start learning react and like, I can build a react app. Like let's do it. What happens if react goes away? Like frameworks go away eventually. Right. So yeah, you know, no, one, and that's a hundred
1: percent true and you're screwed, right? Like yeah. there was a, there was, there was a time in my career where I was more like web designer, but implementing some stuff on sites and all that kind of stuff and interactivity in that way and not just doing like the simple HTML, CSS thing. And uh, my flavor of things was jQuery. Like most of the things I had to get done was jQuery. And then like I'd do some vanilla j- JavaScript for things around forms or whatever else. And then like when, well, it was pre. I guess it would have been Backbone. Like, Backbone really exploded things in in ways to, like, tie together spaghetti code applications Mm -hmm. into an actual framework. And it blew my mind. It was just like, wow, this is confusing and difficult. And, like, that's when I I think I really had to, like, face JavaScript
0: fundamentals and not just, like, DOM manipulation. Right. So were you doing, uh, like design a whole web page, convert it to slices in Photoshop, and then ship those as images. Did that. Definitely did that. I did a lot of that.
1: Yeah, I was going (laughs) to say, when I first got in, uh, we were doing tables with, you know, images aligned in the tables. And then even when you're doing CSS layouts, you're doing images aligned in, you know, in the actual uh, elements and sized elements and crazy stuff. So it's ridiculous. You know, yeah, having used images so you could have uh,
0: rounded corners on your buttons. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think about all those hacks that we used to do. And like, I, I don't know if screen readers were really a thing then, but like imagining any kind of accessibility, they would just be like, nope, like no website here. <laughs> yeah. I'm out. I only access
1: government websites because they're the <laughs> ones that care about me.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it's crazy. And then when you think about like, why? Like, what did you really get out of it? And then it was just considered more like brochure wear, like the visual difference and our, our brochure helps us sell products. Like, I'm not sure if that's true. I think that's why Google did so well, not giving a shit about all those like flashy random buttons. They were like, we have this thing. You can come here and it works really well. And who cares that it's simple and doesn't look like much.
0: We have an input box and Mm -hmm. a button. We haven't styled them. Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But find what you want. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting. uh, Oh, yeah. So you are a, I guess, a property manager. That's, that was yeah. the short version of that story. Now, you've become a property manager. We decided to buy a building. You will be joining the ranks of the rural residents. Um, so moving outside of the DMV area more. Well, uh, close enough. I mean, it's but. in V still, but it's out there. It's more rural. That's all revealed for your privacy. And, uh, and so well, an office I mean, building made a lot of sense the, for us.
0: I can give out the office info. Like we'll probably put that on the site at some point. So that's true. Uh, yeah. We won't say where I'm going to live, but we're, uh, we're moving to Middleburg. Um, I'll be tweeting Robbie's new address.
1: <laughs> you don't have a Twitter. Li- do you? Well, no, I don't. Uh, and yeah. if not mentioned before. I don't social media except for LinkedIn and marginally that Yeah, so we've
0: got a a new office with like um we're only using part of the space and we have several people still renting it out. Um also moving my my home there, my wife and I are moving there. Um into the office. I'm gonna charge them crazy rent. (laughs) It's just a, a like really different speed out there, right? Like I had to sign up for all the different things with the town, like you know, taxes and property taxes and sewer and water and you know, all that stuff. And it's like, okay, print out this form and bring cash to this office. And I'm like, wow, what? Like, I can't just go online (laughs) and be like, hook up my stuff. I can't Uh, even
1: just call someone to do it. Yeah. And then give you a credit card or like
0: a routing number. Yeah. But it's kind of silly because they require that. And then you get there in person. Right. And you hand them this like handwritten form and they're like, Oh, cool. Now we have to type this into the system. Like, why don't you just have an online thing to like collect the data for you? But maybe I will build it here. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say,
1: become the mayor and then outsource all of that work to your own company. That's (laughs) politics.
0: Yeah. But I mean, on the flip side, everyone there is super nice. Like everyone in, you know, closer to DC is just super busy, you know, angry all the time and, and everyone there They're heads is super down friendly. yeah yeah I would agree with that
1: I when I had moved to DC originally it was like a nice change of pace for where I wanted to be at the time which was coming from Phoenix the west coast you know I wanted to get real heads down and career focused and everybody's in that headspace there and it just like felt good because it wasn't it was the norm it wasn't like, Oh, you're buckling down and getting serious. It was like, yeah, no, you're just living life. And this is what we do here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, not that I'm not like that. Like, you know, that I work all day, every day, but right. Uh, no. <laughs>
1: yeah. Work to live or live to work. And I think that's, so I, I'm back on the West coast now and I work hard when I work hard and I family hard when I family hard and, uh, Yeah. I just appreciate the ability to do both of those things.
0: Yeah. We're definitely going to be doing more of that. Like now that, especially that since I have a real office, right? Like if I'm there, I'm working hard. And then the second I get home, I need to like throw my phone in a drawer and not respond to stuff until like, you know, I mean, I'm going to check it at some point. I can't just not respond, but like, uh, Caitlin gets Hmm. on me a lot about working way too much so we're, we're gonna yeah. try to fix that and you know as we try to start a family we'll be more and more doing that and I'll be mowing my tons of acreage that I don't have here so yeah
1: very different life you'll be doing our next podcast from your John Deere tractor
0: with my like 10 mbps internet <laughs>
1: starlink man <laughs> Come on if Elon doesn't uh basically tank all his companies Starlink.
0: Oh, I've I've got my reservation in already even though we haven't bought the house yet. But uh <laughs> I I'm hoping actually and and we'll have to see if we can put your previous career experience to use here that we can figure out a way to beam the internet from the office to my house. What's the distance? Um well, I was looking at the um the different like Antennas and, and satellites and stuff. And, uh, I think they say they go, some go like 20 kilometers. Some go like 50, some go 60, something like that. And, and the house is maybe nine kilometers or something. Like, I don't know the mileage okay. cause I was looking it up on their, their tool with, it was all in kilometers, but it's, right. it's within the range. And I was able to like spin the satellite thing towards like the building and, and it connected. So I think it should work. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's a point-to-point connection. You basically probably want to double whatever their um, range is because there's degradation over distance. So it's Mm -hmm. like if it says, oh, it's 10 kilometers and you're 9 kilometers, like that's not going to give you full throughput. Um, You also have to bear in mind height and um, barriers in between. So it's sort of like, Mm -hmm. but you can mount a pole, give you a little bit of additional height, but then you have, Weather, there's a lot of there's a lot of things there to consider. So but, I mean, it'd be kind of fun to try.
0: Do you, uh, assuming we're not serving other people, right? It's just to yep. send me stuff. Yep. Do we have to like register with anyone as like we're putting no. out these airwaves? I don't even think you have to. Register your spectrum regardless.
1: I think it's like an open spectrum for Mm -hmm. these particular reasons. They don't like start selling off the spectrum and trying to close it down unless X, Y, Z thing happens. I'm fairly certain. I'll double check that. It's been a while, but, uh, yeah, you really just more have to consider like the, the radio waves like shoot out to a distance and they start to lose so it'll lose like trajectory, they start to lose throughput, um, how many trees are in the way, all kinds of like crazy things. So like height is nice. Like if you can go up and shoot down, that gives you a bunch more. Um, you want to power up. Yeah, it'll be fun. We can do a little project there. Put up a pole, yeah. put a antenna
0: on it, put an antenna on yours, see what happens. Yeah. I mean, worst case, we have some nice equipment to resell to someone if they're interested. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And bear in mind that I did this like 20 years ago, so I'm hopeful that technologies have improved anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of different options, so I think something might work. Yeah.
1: Um, So I want to regress a little bit to one of your previous statements, which was about wanting to or having the ability to throw your phone in a drawer and disconnect a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, coincidentally have recently been able to do a little bit of that. Uh, so my wife and I have decided to be vaccinated and once we did, we felt like it was you know a little more comfortable to like safely travel some and, and took a long weekend in Mexico. We, so here in Phoenix, we, there's like a um, fairly close place. like four hours away. Uh, it's Puerto Penasco. Us, us locals call it Rocky Point. Uh, you get to the Sea of Cortez. You get some like really beautiful, clear water. Um, it's pretty warm. Actually, it's kind of nice. And like, unlike going to California where it's like cold year round almost. Um, great seafood especially like shrimp and a few different fish and whatnot. So we, yeah, that was, that was kind of a fun thing. It was like crazy because it's been now over a year in this quarantine during the pandemic and just like really being careful and taking our time. And like for us, we just deciding to just minimize contact and, and um, yeah, it's just cause we have the ability to, and then now
0: go out, go travel uh, get a little sun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, Caitlin is, you know, has full immunity kicks in Friday. So like we're a little behind the curve, but we've still been doing a couple of things. Like we've been going to a couple of restaurants and just sitting outside. Like we would do that, you know, maybe once every few months before, cause we didn't want to risk it too much. Um, yeah, But now that, you know, the CDC has said basically anyone vaccinated doesn't have to have masks, like we can just kind of do whatever we want. And like everyone else is also jumping on that train, it seems like, because like there's this new bar that's over the water uh, in Alexandria called Barca. And we were like, oh, cool. Like, let's book a dinner there and like go sit out on the pier. They're booked for dinner through August, like. (laughs) <laughs> Everyone is like, hey, this is cool. Let's book it. <laughs> yeah. heart. That's a, that's a tough problem to
1: have. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's funny. So, like, uh, cultural variance there. So, going to Rocky Point, and we were really lucky. We have some friends who have other friends that had a condo down there. So we went, brought both of our families, go to this condo, beautiful, like beachside, high rise condo. Um, It's like this kind of like golf resort. And of course, like most people on the resort are just no masks, all good to go. I mean, we have a lot of space and it's kind of very open air and taking the kids to the beach. My son loves the beach. He's been a couple of times. I think well, the
0: second time my daughter's been to the beach. She's only two. Um, what do they like to do that, at the beach are you building like sand castles and forts and stuff, or just hanging out. Yeah, like, exactly. Like dig in
1: sand, um, run into the water a little bit and run away when the like small waves come at you. Um, this particular one, like, a, uh, like the tide that they had, I guess. Yeah. I don't, I don't know a lot about tide actually. So I don't know if it's like time of year thing or whatnot, but, think that tracks. Um, so they really enjoyed like, Oh, we go out there in the morning a little bit and the tide is way back and you go into the tide pools and then you like find hermit crabs and all those kind of fun things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it was just, it was nice to like be disconnected. I was very disconnected. They were disconnected from like, Oh, watch TV shows or my, or my toys. I'm here. I'm just like playing in nature and I have a bucket and a shovel. Let's see what happens. Um, And then we went into town a little bit, you know, we want to get groceries and I always like to explore a little bit more like a traveler, not just vacationing. Um, and yeah, it's a little bit different actually in town. Um, everybody wears masks and went to like a couple of stores and they take your temperature and make sure you use antibacterial. Uh, yeah. yeah, Like it's even more do these here. Yeah. Like, I only went to probably a handful of stores and almost all of them took our temperature and had us use, uh, antibacterial, like hand sanitizer.
0: I was like, Oh wow. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I mean, on some level I'm kind of about just doing all of this stuff. Every flu season, like, you know, we've, yeah, right? we've made it so like taboo in America and like, you know, a lot of, you know, Asian cultures or people come over and are wearing a mask just cause they want to be safe. And we're like, you know why are you doing that, and if we destigmatize some of that, we could really stop a lot of diseases if we just did this more often, yeah, like I mean, I guess you survived this the flu a bunch, but like also
1: it's miserable if you could not mm-hmm. be sick for that time frame, not feel that way, and just be inconvenienced, which isn't even that- inconvenient, right like. I don't want to sit in my house for years, but I also don't think it's a big deal for, to wear a mask or for someone to take my temperature really quick or for me to use hand and or for me to use hand sanitizer. Like it was a 10 second experience and then we were yep. in and finding what we need to find, make the purchase, whatever, and then leave and take off your mask. It really wasn't a big deal.
0: Yeah. I don't want to get too, too political about it, but, uh, let's just say I've been to a lot of places down in Franklin County at the, near the lake where, you know, it's a different world. And like, I, I just will never understand why people can't take the two seconds to like protect themselves and others, but we we won't get into it too much. I think you did a little
1: bit. <laughs> I would just say like, uh, there's no cause for a strong reaction from any opinion, right? And that's it. No one is stripping freedoms and, you know, no one is trying to murder you. I don't know. Like, let's just meet in the middle, do a few simple things and live our lives. And statistically it covers the majority.
0: Yep. On that note. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good time to wrap up. Um, we had happy hour before this, had a few drinks, so I'm about about done and uh <laughs> you know,
1: ready to relax. At, le- at least in a recorded circumstance. Well, everybody <laughs> look forward to our next podcast featuring uh engineering superman. Yeah, nobody <laughs> understands uh Robert Jackson, RJ Blue. He works on a lot of things. He contributes a lot of code. He makes some snarky jokes at conferences from time to time. He is the uh, self-proclaimed I'm dive into all the-
0: Ember janitor. And wow, I like that. And he, he follows that up by, like, anyone that thinks that's degrading does not understand what a janitor is. Ooh, I like it. Okay, so we have some yeah. things to dig into there. Um, <laughs> this
1: will be our second Ember guest, and I haven't been in the Ember space for a little while, so it's always a little bit fun to sort of, like, dig in there a little bit and not just get into like, uh, the deep stuff of, oh, here are features that are coming.
0: Yeah. And we have, uh, I I honestly forget what it is, but we have some kind of like craft whiskey. So like, you know, for the whiskey lovers, that'll be a a good one too. So there you go. Stay
1: tuned. Same. bad time same bad channel but not really because we obviously <laughs> yeah. inconsistently publish
0: Yep, it's random days <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. thanks everybody for listening and if you liked it please subscribe um, also follow up we are going to be doing a ember inspector hackathon should have mentioned that at the beginning for folks who don't listen all the way through but uh, more info from that will be coming on our twitter so follow us at at Shipshape code on twitter and you can get the details on that we've got several cash prizes, 5,000 for first 2,500 for second and a thousand for third. I think so, uh, you know, check that out. Hope to see you there.